Welcome to the Doctors for the Environment Australia podcast, a podcast where we talk about all things environment and health. We're your hosts, Kaya and Karen, two doctors in Australia. This episode, we're going to talk about DEA's newest report on net zero carbon emissions, the responsibilities, pathways and opportunities for Australia's healthcare sector. Awesome. And report sets a really ambitious target of net zero emissions by 2040 for the Australian healthcare system and an achievable short-term target of 80% by 2030. And the report is full of recommendations of how Australia's healthcare system can achieve these targets. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and pay our respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Our podcast is recorded all over Australia and so we take the opportunity to ask people to reflect on the country they live on and the special places they value. Hello, Karen. Welcome back. Hello. Are you going to use my bird recordings for the introduction? I am. I have. Everyone would have just listened to them. Do you want to tell people where the recording was from? Yes. So I'm up at Jindabyne at the moment and I was doing a bike ride along the Threadbow Valley Trail and I stopped at a little corner and it was just full of finches. It was just amazing. Beautiful. 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 Yes. Amazing. I have a similar recording on my phone, except it's just cicadas, but I don't think it would play very well in the podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's very deafening roar. <laughs> yeah, it can be. I had a very exciting moment today too. I saw a platypus in the wild for the first time. I'm really enjoying that each podcast we just talk about what native Australian animal you've seen <laughs> in the wild. I know. <laughs> but it was so great. But it was totally weird. It was walking on the road. Really? <laughs> it was quite lost in like a series of stormwater oh, drains. Oh, poor thing. Up at Threadbow. No, it was, it was making its way back to the river. It was kind of like finding oh, Nemo. Cool. <laughs> All drains lead to the ocean. <laughs> Fantastic. It was great. So this is our first podcast of 2021, which is quite exciting. Um, it's very exciting. Yeah, podcast number eight yeah. for us, I believe. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the DEA Net Zero Carbon Emissions Report. Mm. I thought at the very beginning of it, it's quite interesting because it talks about how climate change is a public health emergency. And it says then that the issues really for healthcare are that we're going to see increase in patient demand, but also threats to infrastructure, workforce, and supply chains. Yeah. And I read that and I was like, oh, like what's going on in the world at the Absolutely. Moment. With Texas over the last week, watching them with all their storms there in the middle of the cold. It's been really interesting because it reminds me of, I mean, it's kind of the opposite, but reminds me of what happened in Australia um, with the bushfire season at the start of last year and how with our bushfires here, there were hospitals that had to be relocated um, and hospitals filled up with smoke, which was affecting patients. Um, and all the surgical equipment got contaminated by smoke in some places as well. And then in Texas at the moment, they're having issues with their water supplies in hospitals. So they're having to ship in water for hand washing and for drinking. The toilets aren't flushing anymore. Um, and then it's an interesting group of people that are coming into the hospital as well. So for our bushfires, it was a lot of respiratory cardiovascular stuff. Whereas in Texas, there's people coming in because they can't 
get themselves warm with no electricity at home. But there's also an increase in carbon monoxide poisoning because people are trying to heat themselves up with other ways. Um, so it's been really, really interesting and quite stressful to watch it unfold. Definitely, I think it, yeah, it just highlights how vulnerable the healthcare system is and people just expect that in time of need it will be there. But in a time of need, the same things that are affecting the general population also affect the hospital and um, its workforce as well. Mm. So I know like the own the natural disasters I've been through, the workforce is also greatly impacted. So that means that even when you have greater demand, the people who are working there also have to be away or they're exhausted, mm. um, stress, there's a lot going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it ties in quite well with what we're talking about today because it's, it's interesting when you when you work in a health system, I think a lot of people from an environmental point of view think about the amount of waste in a hospital system, but they don't necessarily think about the amount of emissions from the hospital system and how the healthcare service itself is contributing to climate change, which is contributing to health issues, which the hosp- the health service then has to deal with. So Yes. So I think you're basically saying is that we're taking a big jump back in this episode to talk back really about like the core activity of DEA, like what DEA is all about. Um, and we're really going to have a good opportunity to hear what DEA members have been up to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess it's probably a good time to talk about our special guest today. Yes. Uh, so our special guest today is Dr. Eugenie Kayak. We're going to grill her about sustainable healthcare systems and she's going to tell us about the new DEA report, Net Zero Carbon Emissions, Responsibilities, Pathways and Opportunities for Australia's Healthcare Sector. So it's a really strong call for the healthcare sector to do its part to lower CO2 emissions. Yeah. And Eugenie is an anaesthetist and she's also currently the convener of DEA's National Sustainable Healthcare Special Interest Group and has been very involved in Doctors for the Environment Australia over the years and quite a key person. So I'm very excited to have a chat to her today. Welcome, Eugenie. Well, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be on DA's podcast. What can I say? Congratulations for such a great production. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so a lot of our listeners will already know you, Eugenie, um, but for those who don't, would you like to tell us a little bit about what uh, first led you to join Doctors for the Environment Australia? Um, yes, yeah, sure. Like I actually thought back and um, realised I actually joined DA in 2008, um, which is a while ago now. Um, at the time, I had been considering actually forming a green anaesthetist group and had even gone as far as, you know, finding a group of people that were interested. But then I happened to come across this book called The Solution Is You. It was all about climate change activists and advocacy and what you could do. And I had, it gave me two really good take-home messages. The first one was, don't form another organisation. There are enough all around already, and this was over 10 years ago. Um, find one that suits you, and if it's not right, try and make it better and more effective. That was the first take-home message. Mm-hmm. And the second take-home message was, start in your cohort. So start with your family or friends or peers in your area when it comes to advocacy and being an activist um, and then sort of work out work out from there. 
So at about that time, I um, read about DEA in an AMA magazine, as it happens, um, and thought, well, well, okay, I don't think I should start a new group. I should actually join this one and see where that leads. And one of the very first projects I did for DEA was actually on um, sustainable hospitals, and it was writing a response uh, to the Victorian Climate Change Green Paper back at the beginning of last decade. So I sort of started my work at DA working on sustainable healthcare and hospitals and have sort of almost come around full circle and are now really involved in yeah. that again. So that's been great. Fantastic. And today we're talking all about sustainability in hospitals and particularly about a report that has just been released from DEA, which is about reducing emissions of carbon dioxide from the healthcare sector. What role do you think healthcare has to play in Australia's emissions? Well, it's pretty significant, actually. Um, So it's been estimated that Australia's healthcare sector is responsible for over 7% of Australia's total carbon footprint or greenhouse gas emissions. So to put in that in perspective, that's sort of the equivalent emissions as the whole population of South Australia, that amount of people. So 7% is a significant number and amount. And therefore, I think, you know, we have quite a role to play in actually moving towards net carbon emissions and um, ensuring emissions are reduced following the science to sort of honour our Paris Agreement and aim for global temperatures of 1.5 to 2 degrees warming and no further. Globally, the health sector as a whole is estimated to be responsible for 4 to 6% of global carbon emissions. So again, that's still quite significant. And if the global health sector was a nation, it would be the fifth largest um, carbon emitter in the world. So it's not insignificant and I think that surprises a lot of people. I thought that was that was a great statistic when I was reading through the report that it would make up the fifth largest polluting country if the healthcare sector was a country globally. Do you think within Australia that there's any particular areas of the healthcare sector that contribute greater to emissions than other areas? Like where should we be focusing our attention? Um, there definitely are. Um In Australia, there's only really one publication that's actually broken down and had a look at how different sectors contribute to our emissions within the healthcare sector. And that was a paper by Malik that looked at emissions in the 2014-15 year. And they took the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare data and did um, looked at the expenditure categories and estimated where the largest contributions would be. And they came up with, unsurprisingly, that our public and private hospitals um, together combined account for about 44% of healthcare's emissions. Pharmaceuticals are next at about 17%. Capital expenditure, so on buildings, makes up about 8% of emissions. And then other things like specialist medical services, community and public health and general practice, uh, somewhere between 4 and 6% each. So it's really our acute hospital settings and our pharmaceuticals and goods that um, make up most of the emissions when it comes to the healthcare sector. And that's in Australia. England's NHS, their Sustainable Development Unit, has probably done the most significant and long-term measuring and of the healthcare sector's emissions. And they have consistently found over the last 12 years that it's 
the goods and services, so that's the products um, within our healthcare sector, whether that be pharmaceuticals or equipment, even food. So things that we use that generally make up almost two thirds of the healthcare sector's carbon emissions. Yeah, I think on that as well, when I was reading through the report, it was an interesting point that's made about the the purchasing power a health service has and how it can impact how the rest of industry and the marketplace works. Do you think that the Australian healthcare system needs to also sort of ensure that it's purchasing products from organisations that also have strong sustainability targets? Yeah, no, that's a really good point and definitely um, because as we've sort of said that probably over 60% we could estimate of healthcare's carbon emissions do come from purchasing goods and services. And if we really want to address our carbon footprint, then we've got to look at that sector and what we're doing um, with it. And I think rather than seeing it as a challenge, this potentially really opens up an opportunity because the Australian healthcare system and all pretty much healthcare systems in other nations around the world have absolute enormous influence when it comes to purchasing power. So it's a large Mm. sector, they have a lot of people working for them and they have enormous purchasing powers. So the choices the healthcare sector makes when it comes to purchasing could really be instrumental in leading change across many sectors. Um, So if they look at not only the goods and services that they're purchasing, but also the energy, their cars, their car fleets, whether they be electric cars or diesel or petrol cars, and even the building products that they might purchase. All of these things um, can really influence not only healthcare's carbon footprint in the end, but I think more broadly the footprint of other sectors. So, yeah, yeah, the healthcare sector really should be leading the way and taking note of what they are purchasing and how they can influence our supply chains. Yeah, I thought talking about the NHS, it's a really great example of this. I think it's quite one of the really inspiring things about the NHS is the work they've done in sustainability. Um, There's a point in the report where it says how the NHS is working with supply chains to reduce emissions. um, And it has clear long-term expectations that before the end of the decade, the NHS will no longer purchase from any suppliers that do not meet or exceed their net zero commitment, which I thought was really quite impressive it's very very powerful isn't it um and and they've already started working towards that and just to point out that the nhs like da um, has the same sort of targets so they intend to be 80 percent towards net zero emissions by about 2030 2032 and to be net zero emissions Mm. by 2040 So they're quite ambitious Mm. targets and they obviously appreciate Mm. how important the supply chain is in reaching those targets. Yeah, yeah. I guess possibly something we could have spoken about earlier, but now is a great time to talk about it. What is the benefit in us trying to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide the health service is emitting? Well, I guess, I mean, there's the climate change benefit to start with. So Mm. um, as we're all and everyone listening to this podcast is acutely aware, climate change is an existential health threat and we Mm. all need to play our part in mitigating climate change for present and future generations and their health and well-being. But more immediate and is the actual health co-benefits that can be brought along with making low carbon choices and the healthcare sector 
um, can really lead in this way. So by choosing energy sources that are not fossil fuel based and also transport, that's active transport, public transport, promoting those kinds of transport, promoting plant-based diets, these all mm. sort of have added immediate health benefits um, by decreasing air pollution, increasing physical activity and generally um, leading towards healthier populations and helping us address, hopefully, um, non-communicable disease burden that is such a burden on the health sector at present. So moving towards low-carbon societies from any sector has added more immediate health benefits. And just as an example, if we look at air pollution, in Australia it's considered, and this was before the Black Summer fires, that there were over 3,000 deaths per year in Australia from air pollution alone. So that's more than double mm. our annual road tolls. So local air pollution is a health issue in Australia and by moving our sectors away from fossil fuels, we can address and minimise that. So there's quite a number of co-benefits, um, health co-benefits, if you like, from moving towards mm. low-carbon practices. Absolutely. I guess it kind of plays as well into the oath we all take as doctors to first do no harm uh, and cleaning up the health service is a really great example of that. Do you think that healthcare professionals have an ethical obligation to advocate for sustainability in healthcare? Um, undoubtedly, I think. Um, as um, health professionals, we strive to support and hopefully improve health and well-being, not only of our patients but of the population in general. Though I, you know, in our workplaces, we're often significantly contributing. Um, to carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, and also um, relying heavily on fossil fuel as an energy source. So it means as clinicians, we're contributing to the health threats that, you know, we're also trying to prevent and manage, mm. you know. So as you said, our ethical obligation, I think, is to first do no harm. Though when we look at the carbon footprint of our health care system, I mean, we're obviously challenging that a little bit, aren't we, in what we're doing and what we're mm. participating with at work. So we really do need to get our own house in order. On a personal level, um, I think everyone at their work can look at what choices they make and how they can influence um, to minimise their environmental and carbon footprint. Myself as an anaesthetist, it's uh, pretty significant, um, but for many it isn't. So as an anaesthetist, even depending what type of um, anaesthetic gas you choose to use that day will make more impact on your carbon footprint than anything else you probably do for that day, week or even month because all our anaesthetic yeah. gases are uh, greenhouse gases. But mm. for most people, um, we really need to be advocates because we really need a whole systems change. We need transformational change within our healthcare system if we're really going to address the carbon footprint of it. And the only way we're going to get that is by being true leaders and advocates and stepping up and speaking out about the changes that are needed and helping to realise those changes. And, you know, the NHS has been a real leader in this with their sustainable development unit. And mm. I must say I'm really, really delighted to say that the AMA, the federal AMA in Australia is also 
showing their leadership in this way and they're also endorsing our emission reduction targets of an 80% reduction mm. by 2030 and net zero emissions from the healthcare sector by 2040. So that's a new announcement and it's very Yay. exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, and look, I'm hoping that other health services organisations, medical colleges will also now see the imperative to take action on mm. this and follow suit. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Mm. Oh, I've got, lo- I've got so many questions I want to ask. Okay, so maybe let's start with the fact you've stated the, the report is really about saying that we need um, really strict targets for net zero, but then it goes into how we're actually going to do that. So um, maybe you, Danny, could just walk us through the key kind of features that we need to look at for how we're going to be able to achieve this really ambitious target. Yes. Um, So there is quite a lot that we need to do to achieve the target because we're not doing that much at the moment. So we're starting at a pretty low base. I think the number one thing, um, the first thing that we really need is to, in a way, copy what they've done in the NHS and we need a national sustainable health care unit. So we need a national unit that can start leading and coordinating and measuring and benchmarking what we need to so do. So that's really, is that, so that's, that'd be a federal kind of Yes, yes. Department. So we need um, something at the national level that can then work with state-based sustainable health care units because Australia's system is obviously different to the NHS and how it is um, compromised, not comp- compromised in how it works. Um And there are federal and state um, factors that come into play. But at the moment, we're not consistently measuring what we're doing or our trends. So if we're going to actually make changes, we need to be measuring across the board. And that's not only in hospitals, it's also in our GP clinics and our pharmaceuticals and everything. So a sustainable healthcare unit, um, I think, is fundamental uh, to to make that happen and to be as efficient and effective as possible. Other things that we need to work towards to um, decreasing our carbon emissions are decreasing our reliance on fossil fuels within our hospitals. So we really should be pushing our hospitals and health services to become 100% renewable electric. And there's no reason why they can't. They should be buying um, renewable energy from the grid. So all their electricity should be renewable energy. And also ensuring that any new hospitals or upgrades don't include gas instalments. And this is possible. And I, I read that. Is that a that that's a major component, is it? Do a lot of hospitals rely on a gas? A lot of hospitals have relied on gas um, for part of their heating and also power um, for some of their um, backup power. But increasingly, they're moving towards electricity. And then there's an announcement that in New Canberra. Hospital extension will be 100% electric and run on 100% renewable energy. So that's really exciting. And speaking to some people in this area, the technology is moving as well. So our heat pumps and our other um, equipment is far better than it was 10 years ago. So it really is possible to have 100% renewable hospital. Um, Hunter New England local health district have just, just announced that by 2030, there will be net zero emissions in their operations. So that's a hospital mm. that's already built um, and that's really exciting. And there are a few other organisations around the world that are already net zero. So when we switch to all um, electric 
renewable-powered hospitals. We might need to redo some of our carbon budgeting for some of the products that we use because previously in some hospitals it's looked um, like there's a lower carbon footprint for disposable products because they don't need to be rewashed and you have to account for the energy to heat, water and sterilise products when you're using reusable ones. But if we go to an all-electric renewable hospital kind of system or even GP practices, then we could potentially be using reusable products as well um, because the carbon footprint would be lower. And then we'd also have other environmental benefits as well. So um, the energy source from our hospitals and some of our, our clinics really can influence the carbon footprint of the products we use and it also influence our, our waste streams. So whether a hospital or a service is running their sterilizers and washers on, for instance, brown coal compared to gas, compared to renewable energy, can significantly influence the carbon footprint about whether you, if you want a lower carbon footprint, um, you should be using reusable equipment or single-use equipment. So the Forbes McGain uh, did a study that was based in Melbourne several years ago when he looked at the central line kit that the kit that we use to insert um, central venous lines which is a metal um, kit and found that if your hospital was actually running its steamers and washers on brown coal then the single use kits actually had a lower carbon footprint than the um, reusable ones so theoretically you could be if you wanted to have the lower carbon footprint then you would be using the single use kits which meant throwing out the metal wear at the end of each procedure. So yes, the energy source of a hospital and how it runs its sterilizers and washers has numerous um, flow-on effects and flow-on advantages or disadvantages depending um, whether they're, for instance, using brown coal or a renewable energy mix. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting that if we did change to renewables we could use reusable products the impact on the waste stream would be massive as well Uh, of course hospital waste also has a large carbon footprint particularly when people put excessive amounts of things into clinical waste yeah Uh, yes it does and I think that's one of the most important things if people actually want to address a hospital's waste um, amounts and impact is to actually get waste segregation correct to start with so we need to be putting things in the right bin because mm. clinical waste uh, not only is far more carbon intensive, but it also needs to be treated appropriately and has significant environmental impacts from that as well. So waste segregation is probably the most important thing that we can do, correct waste is segregation when it comes to our waste streams. Absolutely. Definitely. The other thing obviously is to, to get towards our targets is to prioritise preventative and primary health care and we haven't really touched on that yet but that's integral to decreasing our carbon emissions from the healthcare sector because the whole idea is to actually prevent escalation of care keep populations well stop patients having to get into those high emitting hospitals and acute care facilities that's definitely something i've taken away and remembered um i saw it at a dea conference ages ago I remember we were talking about all the different changes you can make in a hospital, but the best thing you can do is prevent people from having to be admitted to hospital in the first Absolutely. place. Absolutely. And at the moment, and this, well, this was pre-COVID, um, you know, only less than 2% of the Australian healthcare budget was prevent, 
spent on preventative health, and that included vaccination mm. programs. And DA, along with the AMA and the Public Health Association, have been asking for at least 5% of the healthcare budget to be allocated towards preventative health. We need to keep populations healthy and out of hospitals if we're really going to address our carbon footprints across the sector. Which is wild as well when you think about so many of the patients that we see in Australia are non-communicable diseases. Like public health has such a huge part to play. I found it quite out, like quite outrageous that such a small percent of the budget is actually spent on dealing with that public health and that primary care. Yeah, and yes, absolutely. And it's why it's why we need a national sustainable healthcare unit um, as well as state-based ones because we need a unit that's actually going to oversee preventative and primary health care and not just the hospital mm. system, look at um, mm. sustainable models of care and look at the most efficient and effective ways of different care models of decreasing our carbon emissions. Yeah, it's such a broad picture of thinking about it, isn't it? Instead of just being like pigeonholed, got to come up with great solutions. Right. And at the moment, you know, lots of people are doing good things around in this sector, but I get the feeling sometimes that there's too many silos and there's not communication and sharing and coordinating between states, let alone health um, services. We sort of need someone to oversee it. And, um, you know, we don't have much time. We've got a decade, really, to turn the ship around and there needs to be a coordinated effort in doing that. Yeah, definitely. And it, it is achievable when you think about it. Ten years is what I think it says in a report about 7% reduction per year. So when you think about it that way, it seems more achievable. And what do you think the next steps are after this report's been released and AMA's endorsed the targets? Well, from DA's perspective, what we're really looking to is how we can advocate and influence the government um, to actually set up a sustainable health care unit. So that is our primary aim for the time being, and, and we'll be looking at bringing others along on that. So that's on the national level. I think that's really important. On state levels... So hmm? do, you have any, do you have any specific requests for any of our listeners? Well, I think they should be potentially talking to their politicians and um, if they know people in, in um, health policy about how important a sustainable healthcare unit is for the sector... And also, though, for listeners in their own sectors to start asking, well, are we using 100% renewable electricity? And if not, why not? And why aren't our states? It's not sometimes that simple because sometimes states have purchasing agreements, but all these agreements come up for renegotiation every few years. So we really need to be looking at buying renewable energy for our hospitals and health services and ensuring that new hospitals, when we find out of a new hospital being planned and built, getting in there from the beginning and asking that it not have any gas installation, that it's a hospital set up to be net zero. I think that's probably a great point to leave it on and keep that fresh in everyone's minds. Definitely. It was really good to see you, even if it's virtually. And fantastic to hear about all the hard work that you've been doing, Eugene. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you all. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. Well, thank you for having me.